The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I thought to say a few words this morning on the topic of fear. Um, This is maybe not the first thing you might associate with meditation. Unless you're meditating on the edge of a (laughs) very steep cliff. (coughs) Um, But it turns out that um, fear is one of the most, can be one of the most interesting and valuable explorations in terms of spiritual practice and our lives. Um, It's not, um, it's probably not saying anything that you don't know that events in the world and, you know, the constant kind of media news can can stir up fear. And traditionally, spiritual practice, meditation practice, has been seen as a place that we can learn to, um, in a safe way, in a skillful way, a place that we can learn to meet our fears, face our fears, confront our fears. If you think about it, the um, if the request of meditation practice is to to meet whatever arises with presence, with openness, with care, um, part of the practice or part of the challenge becomes noticing all the places where we close down, where we, where we close off, um, where, uh, where we feel limited. And it turns out that for many people, and this is certainly, has certainly been the case for me, that fear um, is one of the ways that um, sort of limits, limits us. You know, not not only does it, you know, if you've ever um, noticed the way that 
almost in a physical sense, fear can kind of feel constricting. It kind of closes us in. Um, Fear also colors what we see, what we perceive. I mean, this is, you know, this is just an example that comes into my mind right now, but um, noticing the difference of, especially when I was younger, but being in a house full of people, an apartment full of people, and then being alone in the apartment. And then the same sounds that maybe were always there, you know, it's like, what's that sound? Or what's that? You know, it's something on the roof if you're in the countryside or, you know, whatever it is. Um, So fear and perception are somehow linked. You know, the, the classic example of this is being in a kind of forest path and jumping because you think you see a snake, you know, but, and then when you get closer, you see, oh, it's actually a rope or or something. Um, When I was first staying in a Zen monastery and for for a number of months and was doing a lot of meditation, um, one of the very interesting and somewhat surprising learnings for me was to notice how much fear seemed to be present in a very low-level way. It was almost like all the time. It was kind of like a background background frequency or something, you know, kind of a little bit of fluttering or a little bit of... And it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't really in response to anything that was happening, Um, at some point I realized that this was sort of my baseline, that this level of fear was sort of, or vigilance or anxiety was just sort of there all the time. It was in the background. And it was, it was coloring the experience in in ways that I didn't realize, that I didn't see. Um, So some people say fear is is in a way part of our deepest conditioning as human beings. Um, And in a way it's kind of like an understandable response to uncertainty, unpredictability. And in, in in the Buddha's teaching, in the Dharma teaching, uh, this human realm is the, is the world of impermanence. Everything is changing. And that impermanence brings uncertainty, unpredictability, this constantly changing mix of pleasant and unpleasant experience. And uh, so, so it's sort of understandable that fear, fear will arise. Um, And then there's something about fear that is very central to meditation practice or spiritual practice in the sense that a Buddha or an awakened being is said to be fearless and to give the gift of fearlessness. So what exactly, what does that mean? What is fearlessness? How does it relate to fear? Um, 
at its most basic level, um, the key to working with fear um, in meditation, and you know, and maybe this is maybe this is something that can be useful. Hopefully, this is something that can be useful in our life. Is to meet the fear with mindfulness. You know, um, as I was saying in the guided meditation, mindfulness awareness has this quality of, uh, in in some way, being independent from what from the object of awareness, from the object of mindfulness. If something wonderful happens in our experience, something lovely, something beautiful, we can notice that, we can be mindful of it, we can see it, we can feel it. In the same way, if something difficult and scary and upsetting comes up, which if you've meditate long enough, some, some of us, you know, just five minutes is all it takes, you know, something will come up, some thought, some memory, some emotion. Um, What knows the emotion, what feels it, what sees it, um, in in the Buddhist teaching, is independent of the emotion itself. That's what allows us to be able to see it. If there were no mindfulness, if there were no awareness, we would be totally at the mercy of whatever the mind cooked up. You know, so some random image of... uh, that's distressing, that's upsetting, then that just ruins our day. That just, we just follow it down. We just totally uh, hijacks us. And in the same way, something delightful, some fantasy, some um, memory of something pleasant, and then we're off, you know, we're off in that. Usually that's the way the mind is. And we're sort of swinging between... um, what's pleasant and what's unpleasant. And um, so mindfulness and meditation is the practice of being in the center and uh, somehow finding a way to hold whatever the mind, whatever comes up in the mind, um, but to, at the same time to be independent of it. You know, so this place, you know, what does that mean? It's like we're sitting in the middle and then various things come up and we can know them, we can feel them, we can see them. But in some way, some, some deep way, they're, they don't touch us. They're, we're free from them. You know, and it, it doesn't mean we're repressing it. It doesn't mean we're pushing it away. But we're, um, we're independent. Um, one of the ways that this is expressed or one of the ways to approach this independence is by actually becoming interested and curious about difficult states, difficult emotional states. Um, What is this? What is this like right now? Um, What is the actual physical experience so when something like fear arises, you know, but this is sort of the same practice for anger, for sadness, for longing, for shame, remorse, you know, any of these states. It's like, 
rather than identifying with it and saying, this is me, this is mine. And then the mind says, well, it's always going to be this way, or this is, you know, um, it's like, can I become interested in uh, and curious about what this is actually like right now? Um, so in terms of this meeting of the fear with mindfulness, we can start to notice that fear is not something abstract. It's like in our actual lived experience, it has a physical manifestation. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I get to practice with with a certain kind of fear just in, in terms of doing public speaking, public talks. You know, they say that that's one of the, you know, there's, what is it? There's only one fear that's more powerful than the fear of death. <laughs> you know, it's the fear of public speaking for, for, for some people. Some, you know. And um, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. It's, there's something about, I don't know what it is exactly, and it's for different people it's different things, but maybe it's something of being exposed in a certain kind of way you know, being out there. And it's, it's, it's connected with a fear of, of being judged, maybe, or a fear of being seen in a certain way. Or, um, I, I was interested to learn, my wife is, is from Japan, and the schooling system is, is so different in Japan in certain ways. And one of the things that I was interested to learn is that children are, are taught public speaking or kind of speaking in front of the class or in front of the group from a very early age. And I'm sort of amazed that these young children and even, you know, going up to high school and college and beyond have a certain kind of, seem to have a certain kind of ease in public speaking that I I think Westerners don't have. Um, At almost any event, it's call, so in Japan, someone is called on to give a public toast or a public thing, and you know, you stand up, and and they're funny and sort of and sweet and or strong, and they know how to just hit the right notes. <laughs> and I've I was reflecting on this, and one of the things that um, that I thought that I realized is that maybe. fear in general, and especially fear of public speaking, is very tied up to our sense of self, you know. And then in Japan, which is a group culture, um, maybe there's a different sort of a sense of self that's, this is true for a lot of Asian cultures, a different sense of self that becomes constructed as we grow up. So there's not, maybe, there's not so much at stake for, you know, giving a, you know, if, you, if your sense of self is more connected to the group in a certain way. Um, so there's that. So fear in the sense of self. And then the other thing I noticed is, having young children myself, is that children have, sometimes or often have less self-consciousness you know, it hasn't been sort of produced yet. It hasn't been drilled into us that we should be, 
embarrassed or something or, or afraid. And, and, and in a way that, um, that sort of limitation for young children isn't there in the same way. And I think that comes through with creativity, it comes through with art, it comes through with learning, learning a new skill, learning a new language. Young children are just sponges. I mean, we know that. They just absorb everything. And, um, you know, so don't have this, maybe some of the social fears that, that adults have. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting to think of fear and the sense of self. Um, one of the one of the famous Japanese Zen Zen masters, Zen teachers, uh, Dogen, uh, summed up all of meditation or all of Buddhist practice by saying, uh, "To practice Buddhism, or to practice to study Buddhism, to to practice meditation, is to study the self." to study the self, to study all the ways that our self comes into being. And so maybe we could say to, to, to approach a way of being that's fearless, the actual practice is to study our fear, to become really familiar with our fear, how it arises, what it feels like, what it feels like in the body, um, as I was saying, fear often has a physical manifestation. And then there's this sort of mood or atmosphere or emotional state that comes along with fear. What does that feel like? Is it, is it, um, does it have a color to it? Does it have a, does it have a physical, does it, is it close in? Does it constrict? Um, Fear often arises with certain thoughts and certain, certain, certain patterns of thinking. So just to become familiar with it, just to notice it. Um, one of the things that I often note, that I, that I noticed in meditation was that fear seemed to be very connected to ideas about the future. You know, fear is somehow connected to a future which is like kind of an imagine, imagined future or anticipated future. Um, and so just to notice that. Um, sometimes for some of us, this can be expressed in meditation through the phenomena of planning. I don't know if you've had any you know, sort of planning. So like, you know, we'll be sitting and we'll be here and then planning the day, planning our life, planning our career, planning um, a conversation, how a conversation that we know we're going to have is going to go. And, you know, and that's normal. That's, you know, that's common. That's normal. There's nothing really wrong with it. Um, We can be mindful of the planning. Um, But what we might notice is that that impulse to plan, that impulse to sort of figure it out uh, may be motivated or may have a sort of 
the seed of that may be connected to fear. You know, there's something about if I can only plan things out in a certain way, it sort of keeps the fear of the unknown at bay. Or there's some sort of safety that comes with planning. So just noticing, just noticing this. Um, One of the most helpful teachings that I received early in my meditation practice when, it, when there was a lot going on in, in my head about the future and, and uh, planning and worrying. And um, my teacher pointed out that um, there's actually no such thing as the future. You know, the future is, is really this idea. And in terms of our lived experience, the future is something that is experienced in the moment. If it just becomes the present moment, um, and if we think somehow, if we think the future is very real, then the present moment also becomes something that not only is something that's real and solid, and there can be fear around it, but that. If you think the future is real, then it might make sense to sacrifice the present moment in terms of worry, anxiety, and fear. If you think that's going to make the future better, you know, okay, I'll suffer now and really worry about this, but I'm going to figure it out and then the future will be okay. Um, But actually, just as what happened in the past determines the present moment. Um, What happens now determines the future. You know, it's this wonderful Dharma teaching of causes and conditions. You know, life doesn't unfold randomly, but everything happens because of 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 a condition, a cause. And so if we want to be happy in the future, um, we set those, we kind of plant those seeds of happiness in this moment, and make those causes of happiness. So that sort of dawned on me that, oh, if I want to take care of the future, the best strategy for taking care of the future or making the future happy or making the future safe is taking care of this moment. You know, um, because what happens now determines the future. So right now, right now, right now. So, um, so just to say one more thing about fear, and so there's a, the basic practice is meeting the fear with mindfulness and breaking fear down into physical component, an energetic component, the emotional component. Um, Sometimes it's very difficult to be with the ideas of the fear, but it's easier to be with the sensations in the body that the fear have uh, created. You know, maybe fluttering in the belly or the heart may start racing. And rather than getting into all the ideas about it, just simply feeling what it's like to have a 
to have the adrenaline going, to have the heart racing, to have, you know, whatever it is, how does fear express itself in our bodies? Um, So there's being mindful of the fear, but there's also noticing our relationship to the fear. Um, Often, because fear is unpleasant, you know, nobody wants to be in a state of fear precisely because it doesn't feel good, it feels unpleasant. For unpleasant sensations and feelings, we tend to push them away. We tend to uh, not want them to be there and to have some attitude or, you know, of aversion, of, uh, of pushing it away or wanting to escape it. And it's in that relationship often can serve to lock in the fear itself. So it's like we have fear, fear arises, and then there's fear of the fear, <laughs> or there's anger around the fear, or there's, there's uh, um, sadness around it, or, you know, or whatever, whatever. That secondary reaction can often prop up the fear and lock it in. So just to notice, you know, just to notice, how do I tend to relate to fear when fear comes up? Do I ignore it? Do I suppress it? Do I uh, try to escape? Um, And what, is it possible to meet fear with genuine acceptance, genuine allowing of it to be there? Um, I found that that, that shift in relating can be the key that actually melts, melts the fear or melts the difficult emotion. It's like it was actually my own resistance to it that sort of solidified it. And when there can be this, this, this true allowing, true acceptance, um, something can be softened around it. Um, it's like one, one of my teachers expressed this as the having this genuine feeling like if this fear is, is here for the rest of my life it's okay and when he sort of dropped in that question in that way he realized that no, it was not okay. <laughs> you know, actually it wasn't okay. And, and that's very valuable to see. It's very valuable to see um, the limits of our acceptance, the limits of our patience, the limits of our... And just to be with that, just to be with that. Um, so working with fear is, it takes a lot of patience, a lot of, a lot of love, a lot of care, you know, to hold this, to hold it in tenderness. Um, um, but I, I would suggest, I would say just to, 
you know, just in closing, that there's something really valuable, really precious, that's, that's sort of embedded within our fears. It's like this precious jewel that um, if we can somehow find a way to be with it, to hold it, to honor it um, without resistance, without pushing it away, without being overwhelmed by it, the fear has something very important to teach us. Um, and, and maybe this state of fearlessness or this quality of fearlessness doesn't mean that there's no fear, but it means that we're so familiar with our fear, we're so at ease with our fear, uh, we've built our capacity to be, to be mindful of anything, including fear, that it doesn't overwhelm us, it doesn't control us. So the fear can coexist with, with the fearlessness, that in, in a way we've seen it, we've seen through it so much that uh, we're free from it. And um, in that way, it's said that fearlessness is a gift and it's a gift that we can give to others. You know, it's a true gift to be with others in a way that dispels their fears, dispels their fears towards us or their fears towards others. You know, I often think about that with children or with my children. It's like, you know, um, what, how can, is there a way of being, is there a way of, 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 of teaching something or saying something that takes away their fears, you know, that, that, that brings that, that feeling of safety and security and ease, which is, I think, something that all beings long for. Um, so the beautiful thing about this practice is we can give this to ourselves, and then it becomes a gift that we share, share with the world. Um, so I thank you very much. And I, I wonder if you have any thoughts or questions or, or ideas around fear, around practicing with fear. Is this something, is this a topic that feels relevant? Does it does it resonate with you? Is it, you know, um, yeah, anything, anything you'd like to share, uh, please feel free. We have a microphone somewhere. You have it, yeah. I'll say one more thing just because it, uh, it occurred to me is that meditation can be a safe, sort of like a safe laboratory. You know, in meditation practice, 
we give ourselves permission to feel anything and everything. You know, it's, if we just sit long enough with our minds, we just be amazed at what will come up and what will, you know, what will think, what will feel. And the idea is that um, in meditation, we're creating this safe space to experience ourselves, to experience anything that comes up. And one of the things that we can start to see in the quiet of meditation, which may not be so apparent when we're moving around in life and busy and active, is um, just the fact of impermanence. You know, things come and go, things change. This is said to be one of the core teachings of Buddhism, everything changes. So, and it's not everything changes except for my problems. <laughs> Although it feels that way sometimes. But everything changes except for my fear. It's like amazing to see if we just sit and are still and don't distract ourselves, don't fight it, don't push it away. Fear can come into the system like a storm, you know, like a weather system. It just comes up, it comes in. There's some thoughts around it, there's some images, there's some memories, there's some physical sensations, that's fear. And it comes in, and if we just sit and do nothing, eventually it passes, it goes away. You know, and to just get, to really get that, you know, absorb the truth of impermanence in our bones, the fear is impermanent. It's going to come and go. And it's because it's impermanent, it's not really ours. It's, it doesn't belong to us. It's, we don't have to um, identify with it and build an identity around it. It's just fear. It's like every single human being has had fear, knows fear, you know, if we build it up, oh, that's my fear, I'm a fearful person, or I'm so bad I have this fear, or I'm so weak I have this fear, or nobody would have this kind of fear that I have. You know, that's all extra. That's all, you know, that's all something that we can let go of that's, that's not, that's not um, intrinsic to the fear itself. Fear is impersonal, it's impermanent. It'll come and go. And just seeing that can bring a lot of freedom. A lot of it's like, oh, oh, there it is again. That's fear. Um, okay. So thank you very much. Thank you for your presence here. And I wish you much fearlessness with your